load the plates and lift the weights And we are mates and weights are great And as of late we pontificate about the weights And make a podcast! Sumo is cheating! This is Weekly Weights with Chrissy and Will Welcome to Weekly Weights This is episode 56 I'm Will Berkman And I'm joined today by another co-host Chrissy Dask Hello Hello, I'm Chrissy standing in in lieu of Alex, who I need to apologise to. Actually, <laughs> actually got home in time for the podcast. I just wasn't aware that was going to be the case. So here we are in his absence. Um, and Chrissy's come to join me to share some of her insights um, from both a trainee and coaching perspective on dealing with injuries and also just how to get the most out of coaching in general. Chrissy, thanks for joining us. Do you want to quickly intro yourself for those who are unfamiliar? Sure. Uh, my name is Chrissy Dask. I am a coach at Paragon Strength and Performance in Artarman. Um, I've been a coach for almost five years now, um, and I specialize in strength, uh, powerlifting, and nutrition. Okay, cool. And also my client and Alex's girlfriend. And yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Possibly a better co-host than Alex. We'll see. This could be a permanent gig, guys. Okay, if Chrissy's, we'll yeah, if Chrissy's yeah, back we'll next see. week, you'll know the partnership's falling <laughs> apart. Um, topic number one is dealing with niggles. So I guess the first, the first question is more broadly: what what types of niggles do we see in powerlifters, and why might they come about? So I mean, for you yourself and for your clients, what are the things that you often see? Um, one of the main things I would say would be shoulder pain and elbow pain. Um, they tend to be derived from low bar squatting. Um, it also tends to be closer to comp, uh, which I have a feeling is mainly because of the load and also the frequency of low bar squatting. The other thing that I would say would be knee pain. Um, yeah. Yeah. Those, I, those are the three things I tend to see the most. I wrote down elbow soreness, shoulder soreness, and then, yeah, knee pain, often um, often patellar tendonitis or yeah. like quad tendon soreness. Um, the other one is lower back stuff, but often, oh, I'll get to lower back separately. But yeah, the elbow and, um, the elbow and shoulder, me not being a physio, um, seems to be more of a problem with people who have issues with thoracic mobility and issues with external rotation. Yep. Because if you like, you think about the way your elbow has to be positioned in, say, a low bar squat when mm-hmm. your arms wrench behind you. If you have not much external rotation, then your elbow, which really shouldn't be doing much other than hinging, although like the radius does sort of rotate around. Radius or ulna? One of them. Oh, I don't know which one is one of which. I'm, the, I'm not the person to ask about this, unfortunately. Where's yeah. Jamie Smith when you need him? Yeah, okay. So obviously not a physio, but one of your one of your forearm bones, I mean, kind of does rotate in order to facilitate the movements of like supination and pronation and stuff. But really, your elbow is a hinging joint. It shouldn't be doing much more than that. Yes. And if you don't have enough movement at the shoulder in external rotation, then your elbow is forced to compensate by basically being bent in a way that's uncomfortable. And that's often why people get epicondylitis. So the the parts on the outside or inside of your elbow getting inflamed absolutely and um, yeah the elbow pain is almost always related to the shoulder pain yeah um so they sort of go hand in hand something that i found that works quite well for people who do have poor external rotation and do experience that pain in their elbow is to actually t- put their thumb over the bar oh big um, time this is something that i i would actually recommend this 
more so for like a more experienced lifter. Um, but that's something that I found has helped a lot. It's obviously not, it's like a bit of a band aid, but yeah. it's something that can help long term and, and just sort of, I guess, even delay that sort of issue. Yeah, because again, like if you guys just do a little air squat, when your thumb is over the bar, your arm has to be a little bit more internally rotated. When your thumb goes over the bar, it buys you a little bit of room for external rotation, right? Just because your thumb's not in the way anymore. Um, so yeah, that can sort of buy you a little bit of extra range where there mightn't be some. And then yeah, um, patella stuff that we said or um, or quad tendon stuff. And then low back, um, people get low back pain either because of poor technique or often just because of lots of heavy loading, um, particularly under fatigue. So all those things are really common. Um, like Christian and I have said though, we're not really physios. So probably the... The more important thing is how, as coaches and as athletes, we identify and manage those problems. So, Chrissy, you yourself have had, since I've been working with you, a couple of persistent little niggles. Mm-hmm. So, you've I, I know you've had your issue with your back, um, your back and piriformis. You've currently got a hamstring tendinopathy and you'd had some shoulder dramas as well, Yep. Um, which you're mostly on top of. What was the process for you in sort like at what point did you go from saying I'm a little bit sore in X and Y to mm-hmm. saying I'm a problem in each or any of them? Yeah. Okay. So the approach I take with myself is the same approach that I would give to my clients. And the first thing that I would suggest they do and what I would do myself is um, do a little bit of release work and a little bit of activation work first and foremost and just see if in a few days the niggle sort of clears itself up. From there, if I'm still feeling an issue, I would book a physio appointment and see what they have to say about it. And from there, if it continues to be an issue, my sort of process would be ongoing physio and trying to determine what exactly it is. So that's pretty much what happened with my hamstring tendinopathy, which is a a current issue, which is why it's kind of forefront of my mind. Um, At first it felt like muscle soreness and I was like, yep, okay, a bit sore. We'll do some release through there. When I released through the insertion point of my glute and hamstring, it actually felt worse after I did that, which was kind of an indication to me that, oh, this isn't muscle soreness, this is something else. Booked in to see the physio, had a couple of sessions with Julia and that's when we came to the conclusion that that's what it was a hamstring tendinopathy and it it did it wasn't just a click here it is it was it was a a couple of sessions before um we figured out exactly what that was so I guess the most important thing with injuries is you do need to be on top of it and you do need to be patient with a diagnosis and um I guess yeah coming together with what it actually is I think um the first thing I would say in as far as going to see a physio goes when you have something that, you know, might might be some type of a niggle or an injury or something. The like the first thing I say to a lot of people who are reticent to go and see a physio is that the like the worst possible thing, other than being told like you're gonna die from your injury, mm-hmm. the worst possible thing that can happen if you go to the physio, um, is that they say, Oh, there's nothing wrong. Which is, if anything, awesome because you've shown up and basically like hit the nail on the head. You know, you can go back to training. Absolutely. But getting to a problem early and being able to take preventative measures before it actually snowballs and starts to affect your training is really awesome. So to me, when somebody's like, hey, I'm persistently having whatever it happens to be, pain in my knee or like, you know, my shoulder flares up whenever I do X, Y, and Z, my first recommendation in conjunction with the other things that I would do as a coach is to say, 
go get that assessed by somebody who's like who's actually capable of telling us what it happens to be and then you know like chrissy was saying with say like the low bar squat being a common irritant to the elbow and shoulder you as a coach can then go through and say okay well what can i change about the training stimulus i'm providing somebody to still get them better without being as likely to aggravate those issues and again you can do that with more information better from a physio but you can still start to make some intuitive changes so like you know in the case of somebody who did have elbow pain who was squatting and benching with a reasonable like reasonably high frequency probably one of the first things i would do is reduce the exposure to the low bar squat so i might change one day out to like a safety bar or high bar or front squat or something that was going to aggravate them less and maybe consider reducing their bench loading as well until the shoulder started to heal up but i'd prefer to do that in conjunction with physio advice because then they can tell me what we need to add or avoid and how much loading they can actually take definitely and once you like you said get into something early whether it's a niggle or natural injury a lot of the time if you get to it early you, you won't actually need to change anything unless it's something you know further along the line in terms of seriousness mm. um most of the time i've found there hasn't been a need f- to change things for my clients anyway or for myself um because yeah it's been dealt with early and they they have rehab stuff to work on and the physio said you can keep doing what you're doing until um yeah the rehab's work sort of kicks in and it does take some time a lot of the time it takes about a couple of weeks mm. for it to sort of work i suppose um but additionally to that is um, I guess clients having a good physio on hand and there mm. is a difference between a physio and a sports physio and a good physio and a bad physio. Yeah, big time. And I think one thing as coaches that you can do is start to develop a network. Like you don't have to send everybody to one physio unless you're in cahoots with them. But if you have, <laughs> if you have a network though of people where you know you roughly know how they run their practice, you know they're pretty good, you communicate openly and frequently and well with them, then not only are you more likely to get more useful information from them, but you know you might even end up gaining some clients out of it. And that hasn't necessarily been the case for me, but there's maybe three or four physios who have looked after my clients or who I've referred people to who will send me pretty lengthy emails or messages or occasionally DMs on Instagram, which is weird. But um, <laughs> you know, I've had, I've had 20 minute phone calls with physios about some of my clients um, because most physios are actually thrilled to have personal trainers engage with them and try and actually do things for the better um, of their clients and i think there's a really bad stereotype for pts and coaches and things which is that they're clueless and that they basically you know injure people and prop up physios businesses where whereas in reality there's a really good chance to work collaboratively yeah absolutely and like why as pts would we want our clients to to have to go to a physio to have niggles or injuries of course we don't want that but they're inevitable so having those networks and those relationships is really important with um, physios that we know are good and that understand the sport yeah and the the other thing about having those open lines of communication like well pretty much like you were just saying is that it actually allows the physios to understand the sport as well because even very good sports physios like one guy that i've worked with a reasonable amount myself um his sporting background is mostly in golf so obviously obviously his understanding of powerlifting is rudimentary but (laughs) but you know if like because i've worked with him myself and i've worked i've sent a number of clients to him i'm able to say you know at what point I would like the client to be exposed to what levels of training stress, what I'm trying to achieve, you know, at a given time in their training and get their advice on say, you know, how much exposure to load they're like, like they're likely to tolerate, 
what things I have to look out for and what I might need to layer in or pull back on and also just how realistic my plans for the client are. And, and again, just by having those open channels of communication, you can get so much more out of the physio. You can learn heaps. It's, it's been really, really helpful for me as a personal trainer. And yeah, you can get better results for your clients, which I think is really good. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important to know where the line is as a PT and then also as a physio. As PTs, we're not trained as physios. And whilst you might be able to give some suggestions for uh, activation exercises, release work, take some stuff out of their program, add some stuff in, there's, there is a line. It's the scope of practice line and you don't want to be the person who oversteps that boundary. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that's another reason why having those relationships is important uh, because at the end of the day, you're trying to keep your clients safe and healthy and you don't want to overstep your bounds and, and create a worse problem. Yeah, and you know, on top of the whole scope of practice argument from like a you know legal or moral perspective is just that like I'm primarily a personal trainer and powerlifting coach and I don't really want to try and like be wasting my time trying to do something I'm not that good at which is rehabbing people's injuries when there's a like there's a physio who can assess and tell me what I need to do to facilitate that rehab and you know I do have an extensive enough knowledge of exercise if a physio says we need to whatever it happens to be strengthen the external rotation uh, rotators of the shoulder you know how to do that yeah i can do that i can incorporate that into their programs absolutely i can go back and give the physio some feedback but i don't want to spend an hour of my client's time where i can give them real expertise poking around doing something i'm not very good at because i'm afraid to refer out to somebody else who actually knows how to do the job better either completely agree um anyway you've said a bunch from the coaching perspective and what I thought would be cool is to get a bit more of an athlete's perspective of, you know, one, how, how you engage with the professionals that you're working with, so your physios and your coaches, and two, what, like, what, I guess, extracurricular training stuff that you would do to facilitate training when you do know you have, say, your hamstring tendinopathy, something that does impact your training. So, um, so first things first, what do you actually see the athlete's responsibility as being in these instances? Uh, first and foremost would be telling your coach. Um, so I think as soon as my hamstring thing kind of came up, I was like, oh, experiencing this soreness, like telling you, um, yeah, that would be the first thing to do. Tell your coach, like, just let them know, hey, this is what I'm feeling. And then they can tell you, you know, give it a few days, see how it goes or or whatever their sort of prescription is. Um, that would be the first thing. Tell your coach. If from there, there's no change, it's not getting better or it's getting worse, I would I would go and see my physio immediately. Book in a session and go and see. I go to PB Physio in Marrickville. Um, and yeah, that would be my next step. So I think um, telling your coach early is important in the same ways that seeing a physio early is good. Um, I've had a few people not tell me that something was hurting for a while because they didn't want to alarm me, like their words. And while I absolutely appreciate them considering my feelings, <laughs> I, like again, as a coach, my job is to try and consider their like their feelings and results and longevity. And oftentimes it's not in your best interest to do that. And even though when people tell me, like when Chrissy first told me that she was having this hammy pain, my response is often really, really understated because I don't want to alarm them by saying, you know, oh, you might have a hamstring tendinopathy and then it could rip off the bone or something straight away. Except I don't you th- did say that, but oh well. I, well, I did, <laughs> I did say that, but like, you know, you can handle it. Okay. Um, <laughs> but like my response might be immediately understated, but at least I know. 
And then next time I see them, I'll probably say, how's your hamstring? If they say no better, I'd say, well, that seems pretty persistent. Why don't you go see somebody? Whereas I've had people say, you know, hey, Will, can't train tomorrow. My knee's hurt. My knee hurts. It's been hurting for four weeks um, and I haven't done anything about it yet. And I go, well, shit, like, you know, if you told me four weeks ago, we could, like, you could be better now instead of not training. I think people don't want to come off as being like a hypochondriac yeah. or they don't want to feel like they're overreacting or being dramatic. I had a client message me the other day being like, oh, I hope this isn't dramatic, but this is this is sore. I felt it when I did this. And I was like, no way are you being dramatic. Like, I've got to know these things. Mm. It's good that you told me and sort of that, like hoping that that would encourage them to, to reach out again. Um, I guess reminding your clients if... And asking them, you know, when you see them, how's your body feeling? Yeah, I and say, then, how's your body almost at the start of every session, yeah, right? Yeah, and you do, you do, because I know that you do that. So I do that with quite a few of my clients as well. It's just one of those things. So yeah, if you are a client of somebody's, please tell your coach if something is aggravating you. I think that... Only with your body though, not other things, not <laughs> well, work things. Yeah, <laughs> personal bad, trainer basically... <laughs> <laughs> personal trainer basically stands for like psychological therapist or whatever hey half Bartender. the time yeah yeah <laughs> um, style. we don't actually bring drinks yeah or do we oh, that'd be so good um shout out to my client tom clark who left me 24 ciders at work the other day so. shout out tom what <laughs> yeah what a legend so he deserved that uh he gave them to you yeah oh you should be giving them back to him after putting that after photo roasting of him on your instagram <laughs> yeah tom's got a really good lifting face and he had this moment of like the exact like this photograph of the exact moment when he realized he was going to miss his third squat at junior nationals recently. And it was priceless. He did give it a good crack. Um, The other layer of athlete responsibility that I think is really important um, is, and it's funny because the first couple of things we've said is basically immediately communicate to the people who are going to look after you. But then the next layer of athlete responsibility is actually what you do yourself. And again, it's easy to be very passive in the treatment of your injuries and basically just rely on your professionals to get you better. But the people who tend to do well in overcoming injuries and coming back from them, one, become aware of exactly what they have to do in like, you know, pre and rehab and in monitoring their injuries um, to get back to training. And two, usually take a bit of an active interest in what might have caused the injury and how they can go about like either modifying their training or their technique or monitoring themselves to prevent future flare-ups. And so I think it's really important on the part of the athlete that they sort of take quite an active role in their own, like in their own rehab and in their own management when you do have a niggle. Because again, like unless you're coaching, like unless you're performing underneath the eye of a coach and a physio all the time, you're probably going to have to make some calls and do some self-assessment and self-coaching at some stage and you, in your training career so it's really beholden on you to do that in your rehab as well definitely so i guess uh, a few different parts of that are completing the rehab that your physio has set for you uh continuing with physio appointments if that's what your physio has requested um filming your lifts Mm. and sending them to your coach and uh you know asking questions about how you should be warming up Uh, if there's any activation drills you should be doing if you don't know that from your physio. Uh, Things like that, just to stay on top of it because those are things that, yeah, can contribute to niggles and injuries. Yeah, I think in the case of, um, in the case of, say, you when you were having your your back issues um, while you were squatting, um, you know, because you had communicated with me this, like, this was hurting, you're having it monitored by the physio and some days it was better and worse and stuff, 
one of the things that we started to look at when you were training was on which days you're a bit more twisty, which reps you're a bit more twisty and what type of cueing strategies you could use to actually reduce the thing that seemed to be aggravating your back in your technique, Mm -hmm. you know? So again, as an, like as an athlete, you were taking responsibility for that and saying, Hey, like if I do X, Y, and Z, I get a better outcome. And so that makes the coach's job easier. But again, that's working collaboratively with the other people, like with an eye for doing it yourself. Basically. Yeah, definitely. That's and that's being like, yeah, noticing things about your own body, becoming more perceptive about your body. And if you do those things now and you become more in tune with your body in the future, you might be able to prevent future niggles and injuries because you know that when something feels a certain way, it could be leading down the path of, you know, a niggle. Mm. Um, so if I were to sort of sum up most of what we've just most of what we've just said it's basically you experience some type of like pain or discomfort that is unusual and you say there's possibly something wrong um and with enough persistence you then say okay i'm going to go get this you got to go get this looked at by somebody and under their advice you make any necessary modifications to your training that you have to do and then continue to communicate with the people who are monitoring you being your coach and your physio to get better and then your job as the athlete is basically execute the plan and do the work outside of your training that facilitates you doing the training itself yes okay um that all seems good from a practical perspective from a psychological perspective what's it like to approach training particularly for say big competitions like you have nationals coming up what's it like to approach them when your body doesn't feel at its best all the time for training it can be a bit nerve-wracking um i guess because you can't you become sensitized to some feelings and you're trying to protect what injury you have or that body part or that muscle group or whatever it is um it can make it harder to be as aggressive as you need to be perhaps or um yeah lengthen muscles things like that it can be a bit of bit more of a mental challenge because you are feeling like you're feeling a bit um a bit fragile i guess that's a good way to put it um what i was going to ask is when like when you are feeling fragile what Mm. types of strategies do you use so that you still approach training with like you said like the right level of aggression or you know and how do you continue to enjoy it when sometimes it can be a little bit painful and you might be worried that your performance doesn't live up to what you want okay that's an interesting question um i guess i try to just follow the same process that i would on any other given day uh first and foremost coming into the gym making sure i have enough time to do all my rehab work because my rehab work is rehab prehab whatever you want to call it is designed to get me better if i do that i mentally already feel better about it because i know that i'm doing everything i can to get myself better and healthier uh, from there, making sure I'm warming up effectively enough to uh, do the loads that I need to do. And from there, I guess it's doing things that you would normally do. Like maybe you put a song on, maybe you chuck your headphones in, maybe you get people around you, maybe you get a back slap, something like that, just to mimic what it would be on a normal day, even if you are dealing with those sorts of things. So from a coaching perspective, um, something that I think is probably undervalued um particularly when you do have trainees who just picked up the odd niggle along the way and most people most people do you end up just having that those one or two little problem things that come up when you train heavy or are prepping for a comp one of the thing one of the reasons i think 
having phases, particularly after comp, where you have more variety and you get a bit away from the power lifts, is you also often remove the stressor that sort of tends to um, tends to aggravate people. So you know, say it is the low bar squat that really just jacks up your elbows. You know, having a phase after training where you do a lot of safety bar squats and high bar squats, things that still transfer to the low bar squat but remove that stressor. One gives those structures a chance to sort of heal a bit, and two i think it takes away a big psychological burden and i'd be interested in your thoughts on this chrissy but like takes away a bit of a psychological burden from the trainee when they don't feel like they're as likely to have their performance impacted by those issues they don't necessarily have to do as much prehab work just to get through the training well and because that stress is taken away they can just get in there and train and enjoy it whereas i think if you were to 24 7 be hammering away at things that do here and there cause you pain it would it would go from being sort of a hobby that you can joyfully engage in to being a real chore sometimes particularly when you're really grinding to get better absolutely and it like if if you are experiencing like like you know a bit of fear in in terms of those niggles and how they're going to feel then you get a break from that and and even some of the training that you've structured for me at the moment is like there's there's heavier days and there's lighter days and there's days where I go in and I'm like okay this session's a little bit like a little bit easier on the, on the mind as well as the body um and having that as as a I guess a break and like you said with the the basic structure of of training for people and giving them that mental break is going to be super helpful for them going into a, a comp phase and being able to yeah rev themselves up and get ready for they're heavier lifts yeah um that's pretty much all i really wanted to cover from the perspective like on on the topic of niggles and injuries is there anything you really want to say not that i can think of right now okay let's take a break Woo. yes break. Okay, quick break <laughs> and we'll come back and talk about getting the most out of coaching Back on Weekly Weights, it's episode 56. Is that correct? That's right. (laughs) I think it was 56. (laughs) Fuck, this is where I really wish Alex was here. He's so much better at knowing the episodes. Um, I think it's episode 56. I'm with Chrissy Dask. And you had one more thing to say about injuries. One more thing to say about injuries. So uh, I think probably the most important thing is that every injury is going to be a little bit different. And it is really important to see a professional because they're going to help you be able to train through your injury most of the time whether you whether you need things changed or whether you don't the i guess the best outcome is often not to just rest and Mm. stop training at all which is often kind of an old school physio thing which i found uh, in the past with, with weight training powerlifting specifically uh so yeah just make sure that you are finding a good physio and someone who is going to help you be able to train through your injury um and not basically tell you to rest for two weeks kind of thing that's often that's not the answer majority of the time no like it's good to be able to have someone who says okay we can keep going we're just gonna have to do x and y instead of let's do nothing at all because that sucks um because if powerlifting is your hobby then suddenly it's no hobby anymore um the new topic that we were gonna have what was Sorry. no you're right it was getting the most out I, of i won't be back uh. <laughs> yeah it's all right you're sacked um the next the next hobby was getting the most out of coaching and um the reason i wanted you on to talk about this was because one you've told me a bunch of things that you do with your clients and two recently i put out 
I put out a poll on my Instagram talking about communicating with clients and you had some particularly interesting insights to do with that. So for starters, what are some of the just crucial things that underpin a good athlete-coach relationship? I think honesty is probably the the most important one. Being honest, open and... Um yeah, with your with your coach, honest and open with your coach um, about what you want to get out of it, about um, your weekly training. You know, don't tell your coach that you've done a session if you haven't done it, all of that sort of stuff, like which you think is like a basic part of a relationship. But often people, they don't want to look bad. They want to look like they're a good client. So that sort of stuff. So definitely being honest and open. Um, second to that, I would say is, is diligence. And if something is getting in the way of that, then again, being honest and open with your coach about why. Yeah, I think I think honesty and openness with the coach, you kind of said this when you said also being honest with what you want to get out of it. Honesty and openness with the coach kind of takes some honesty and openness with yourself. And in my experience, there's a lot of people who will come to me and they're all, you know, like just noise about like how much they want to achieve and what they want to do and all this crap. And before long, it's pretty apparent that they don't really want those things. They're, you know, what they are saying is because of like, I guess, a social desirability bias. They want to tell me what they think I want to hear. Yes. Um, and in reality, if you like, if, and I say this in my first few questions I send to, um, send to clients before they start. One of my questions is like, how important is this to you? And what other commitments do you have that might interfere with it? Mm-hmm. If you say, Hey, like, you know, I'm looking to like I'm looking to dip my fingers. I do other stuff, you know, whatever it happens to be. Like I have other hobbies, or you know, I also do rock climbing, or whatever it happens to be. But like I do other I do other stuff. I want to dip my finger in this, give it a go. It seems like fun. Then the way in which I expect you to approach training is going to be really different from somebody who says I literally want to be the best in the world ever, and it should be. But if you say, hey, I literally want to be in the best, like I want to be the best in the world ever, when really your reason for participating is um, is participational then or like recreational then probably you're going to be dissatisfied as well because you're not going to feel like you're acting in a way that's true to yourself and you won't enjoy it as much absolutely yeah um most of the time the coach isn't going to mind either way whether you just want to do it for fun or whether you want to be the best in the world but we have to take what you say to us as what you want out of it and then apply that to how we give your program and nutrition whatever it is yeah um so you said that, what was the, so you said honesty? Openness. Openness. Same thing. And, and diligence. diligence. Man. Okay. So some people, like diligence is definitely not something that like every single person just has. And I'm sure there's actually like genetic variation in how diligent people, no, I'm dead serious. Like, yeah, in, I agree. I don't think diligence is just a trait where like everyone has it and some people are just fucking lazy. Like there is definitely a degree of stick to that is genetic there's all there's also certainly an amount of it that is like trained or practiced yes but some people yeah some people are just way fucking easier to coach than other people um you know because you know if you tell them to do something they're going to do it and stick with it and at the very least they'll get back to you and tell you openly and honestly Mm -hmm. (laughs) why it didn't work or whatever but like there are some people who will just do it and some people who won't but if you want to make your coach's job way easier, this is something Alex said really well on the podcast once. If you want to make your coach's job easier, do exactly what they told you because then at least if it doesn't work, they know why. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. It is it is quite frustrating when a person comes to you and says, I want X 
and you give them program for X and they do not do program to achieve X. It's very frustrating because it's like, if you just want to have fun, you're not going to be super diligent on it. I'm not actually that fussed by that. That's fine. Like, of course I want you to, to do what I like tell you to do. If you've told me you can train three days, then I kind of do expect you to train three days, you know, every now and then things come up. Sure. Fine. But if every week you're only hitting two, just tell me you can only do two. I don't mind. Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of like this and that ties back into being open and honest with, with what you want. It all kind of comes together. Well, another way of looking at it is like if somebody, if I write somebody, say a four-week block, I hear fuck all from them and then when I do hear from them, they don't do their program and then they don't get any results, why would I do more work to redo everything and change the plan to see if it'll work better. Absolutely. When they haven't even done the plan. like okay. It ends up being more work for us because then you have to change everything. Yeah. Well, do like, you though? Like, why would I change anything? They didn't even do that. So like... No, but as in like, you've got to sort of... Now you you can't just progress that block. You've got to go back. Where are yeah. you up to? You've got to find out all these things where it was just like, if you just did it, then both of our lives would have been easier because A, you would have been achieving what you set out to and B, I could just keep on going yeah the only caveat to that would be if i was like oh fuck my my planning for this person was so like so out of sync with who they are and what they need that there's a fun like there's something fundamentally wrong with the service that i provided them therefore i need to change it so that they'd be more likely to adhere to it okay that's but what that's entirely what possible per, what percentage of of times has that like happened to you? zero so far exactly. <laughs> but like exactly. but I'm, I'm willing to entertain the possibility that i'm so shit at my job that i've never even noticed when i've like okay, said more... to a powerlifter hey you got a squat and they've been like uh well i don't know <laughs> i don't know about this like you're more open-minded than i am i guess i'm like yeah. that definitely won't happen <laughs> but but like it's possible you okay, know like sure. like i'll like i'll entertain the fact like for instance some of my clients i have moved like if you were to just have a spectrum and put five you know five out of ten in the middle of the spectrum of like between order regulation of like how much work you do and how heavy it is Mm -hmm. and 10 is like you have so much leeway you can do almost whatever you want within these little bounds and one is like you have absolutely no choices you do x y and z Mm -hmm. you're a robot in the gym i have moved in both instances from five towards either pole um for different people depending on how they are just because I think it will actually facilitate them adhering to the program. Definitely. You know? um, and oftentimes when you sort of get it right and you go, oh, this person really just needs to be told exactly what to do, you see you see an improvement in investment from them because they go, oh, you know, great, this suits me better. They do better and then you're like, fuck yeah, my job's easier. So again, from a coaching perspective, you can look at yourself and go, oh, I could have done this job a bit better, but you don't know unless the athlete openly communicates with you and goes, I'm finding it hard. I need more direction. Yes. Or this is too prescriptive. Some days I feel just a little bit shitty or like I'm not motivated enough or whatever it happens to be. Definitely. At least then you can say, let's try these few practices because they're going to be the things that keep you in line. Yeah. You know? So part of it is as you as a coach reading them and part of it is them telling you how they're going to be. Well, you can't read how someone they... who's a closed book, right? Well, yes, sure. <laughs> <laughs> how sick of mixed metaphors. Terrible. No, but it's true. Like as it if is somebody's, true. somebody's not giving you anything. like Things can be bad and true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's that. Um, what about uh, like what about as a coach? What do you tell your athletes uh, your like needs? Like what are the things you want most? Uh, communication um like do you want me to go into specifics well like for instance i start with like unbelievable strength talent (laughs) 
Um, yeah, like, no. No, just a couple of, like, specific things where you're like, you know, this is actually really helpful stuff you can give me as a coach. Okay, so, like, I mean, I'll have my clients do a check-in every week, um, which is based on their nutrition and their exercise. I also have them send me videos during every session. And uh, between those two things, if they have questions on top of that, they can email me or use my Facebook group, right? So in those sort of different facets, I suppose training-wise, um, sending me their videos, letting me know how each thing felt was like, what RPE was this at? Um, how's it feeling to you? Things like that, just generally how it went. Um I lost my train of thought. <laughs> so these, you're saying these are your particular needs as a coach? Yeah, so. yeah. Like, I I guess um, knowing where they're at, oh, I just don't even know how to answer this question. Well, I'll start with a couple of things that yeah, helped me, me and then you just fill in the gaps. Okay. So, so for instance, I, I don't know. I think there's about 30-ish people that I have that I'm currently writing programs for. So it's not heaps, but it's enough that like I don't know exactly what they're doing on any given day or yep. what or, you know, what day of their program they're up to. Like, Alex is freakish like that because, again, he just remembers everyone's numbers ever. And He's also, number rain man. He, he knows what I did in my training when I don't even know what I did in my training on the same day. Like, as in, you know, he remembers that, I don't. So I tell people, I want you to send me footage on every training session. Um, I want you to send me footage during every training session. And when you do, I want you to annotate it thus. And then I say, like, you know, week X, day X, exercise, you know, sets reps load, which set you've sent me. And then I say, you know, a couple of subjective things. So like how hard it was, what your technical foci are, whatever it happens to be, but a couple of things there. And then once they've given me that information, it makes my job much easier. Yep. So, so, you know, I want that immediate orientation when people give me stuff. Ideally, I want their reflections on how the feedback I gave them last time um, helped or mm -hmm. didn't help. Yep. And what other things do I really need? Honestly, other than that and just general communication of what you're happy with and whether your goals change or, or something comes up in life, there's not really like there's not really a whole lot I need. It's just it's just give me the essential information and layer the subjective stuff in. Don't presume that I know all of the all of the objective information necessarily because sometimes you just don't. Yep. And if something gets in the way, tell me what it is. Yes. either in advance or at least what modifications you made so that I can take that into account and give you some feedback on what to do next, you know? Yeah, okay, I'm exactly the same in regards to that. Uh, in addition to that, I suppose if um, if they've missed a session, if they're sick, if they're feeling a, a niggle or an injury, uh, that communication needs to come through as well because that's going to affect how they go about their training. Yeah, like again, when I guess this is so obvious that it should be obvious when when there is like a foreseeable block to your training so like as in if you're going on holidays for two weeks in june you would know so you can tell your coach i'm going on holidays for two weeks in june same thing if you on a monday go oh shit i gotta go away for work thursday to sunday this week and normally i train whatever it is friday and saturday i'm going to struggle to get those two sessions in how can i fix it you can tell your coach on monday and then they can make accommodations through the whole week for you and they also have more time to get back to you if you message your coach on Thursday morning and go, you know, lol, had to go away for work, um, got to compress my two sessions, don't know what I'm going to have available to me, you know, I've done days one, two, and three of my five-day program so far, what do I do? Then, like, your coach is less likely to get back to you in time. They have less sort of freedom to make decisions on your behalf, and so you're probably trading off on your training results. So, again, just, just like, early open communication in a succinct manner that gives people the information that they need to help you out, helps them help you out. Absolutely. Don't tell your coach, 
after you've gone away or after you've been sick for a week that you've been sick for a week and you haven't trained like tell them at the time if you're coming down with something hey let them know email them say I'm coming down with something I think this might take me out for a few days what should I do that's it's your coach's job to tell you yeah when was the last time somebody said I'm getting sick and you went oh well like fuck you that's that's really shit of you (laughs) like well now you've just ruined my program so get out like yeah exactly that doesn't happen yeah it doesn't happen it's just it's it's just helpful um so I said a moment ago that there are some people who are definitely more coachable than others Mm -hmm. and one of the things that we said makes people coachable is diligence Yes. Um, which is a really broad term, but that I take to mean that basically they just try really hard and are They like, stick dedicated. to what they've been prescribed. They yeah. don't do things, they don't max out their bench <laughs> randomly in their program. Yeah. Um, they don't, you know, leave accessories out. If um, there's something that they don't understand, they ask what it is. Um, things like that. I think, um, I think within diligence there's kind of like a number of things so like you've mentioned a couple but the thing about asking questions is a really good one i think or maybe this is partly because of like how i am but i find people who have a bit of an introspective approach to their training easier to coach because they like because their curiosity leads them to ask questions so that they can understand things in a way that helps them facilitate their own training by which i mean if i give somebody I give somebody a program and they say, you know, why X, Y, and Z instead of blah. I mean, that type of question can be annoying if you feel like you're having to justify yourself 24-7. Yes. But if somebody says like, you know, um, like, why am I doing blah? Or like, or what's the plan here? Or they just communicate with you in a way that is basically designed to foster their understanding and yes. you give them back that stuff. Then when, you know, the odd thing happens in training and they have to make an audible, like an audible call and say, or call an audible, I should say. And, um... And, you know, modify something or when they have to go into training and do a bit of self-coaching because their technique feels off, they can actually like, because they're introspective, they can think and go, you know, what am I trying to achieve here? What are the things that often help me? What things don't help me? What like, what technical focuses have worked in the past? And they can sort of filter back through those things and apply them and see if it gets them a result. And that process of learning and sometimes occasionally making mistakes and then learning from them often gets people better because like they're more invested in actually learning whereas people who are who you know maybe follow the program but really switch off and don't actually engage with it on a more intellectual level or a little bit harder to teach lessons because they're just not thinking like you know they'll still probably get stronger and they work hard and that's awesome but like they're not really thinking about like how can i get myself most stronger and most better by doing this does that make sense absolutely i think to sort of carry on from what you just said as well is um i guess an asset that we want in our clients is to be focused during their sessions and people who are focused in their sessions in the way of they're thinking about their cues they're in tune with their body and they're you know they're not looking around the gym during a set stuff like little things like that Mm. that creates a much better environment for good training and progressing than someone who is not focused in their training yeah it's definitely an individual thing that like you know certain people can handle being much more thoughtful in the moment of execution um you know and even on a lift to lift basis that's different like you know i for instance i think more technically during my squat than i do in my deadlift agreed um you know, and there are people who, for whom that's the reverse and people for whom like bench, they really think and people for whom bench, they don't. 
but I think it's useful to be able to sort of in between your session or in between your sets, I should say, take a moment, reflect, say, what did I do well? What did I do badly? How am I going to do better on my next set? So take every set as a, like, as a chance for like momentary improvement on what you did before. Action it with just a singular focus in the set. So if you determined on your bench that the thing that you did, like the thing that you were going to improve on on this set was starting your descent a little bit slower and smoother, whatever it happens to be. If that's their only focus during the set, you can then do it, review your footage or review just how it felt and how the weight how the weights moved after and then say you know did that work sweet tick the box i'm going to stick with that did it not work okay what's the next thing i'm going to try or how could i do better again and repeat that process but you've got to have that iterative process of you know momentary reflection what am i going to improve on put it in place focus on that go back to it whereas if you just go like okay my rest is my time where i chat shit around the gym which is fine and then i just completely switch my brain off and try really hard and i go chat shit around the gym you don't learn the lessons that you learn on a set-by-set basis by actually engaging with them mentally, you know? And even when you step foot in the gym, come in from a place where you're not bringing, you know, work drama or personal drama into the gym with you um, and that can help you be more focused on what you're actually there for, which is to train, mm. um, then, you know, if then being unfocused. And it's not just a, oh, I'm just going to try really hard and I'm not really thinking during this set. It's actually like, are you, are you thinking about something else? Are you, is your mind somewhere else? Because it really does need to be here. Mm, I think Amir, who was on, on episode two of the podcast, um, said something, he shared a Facebook memory from like five years ago. So, you know god knows when he actually said it but um but he said something really good which is basically like time is the one thing that you can never ever get back it's the most valuable thing you have and you choose how you spend it and so you know you've chosen to spend it in the gym and i don't think he said there's no real excuse to to then waste it by not actually investing your effort in the thing that you have chosen to do absolutely especially when like what we were just talking about before you you are at risk of injury if you're not focused in the gym so even just from a point of avoiding hurting yourself you need to be focused I, yeah i but find more it so is obviously um yeah trying to improve yeah and i think when people hire me as a coach it seems like a tacit admission that they do want to improve at what they do so part of that is being willing to say okay well when i go to the gym i'm i'm practicing i'm doing something like trying to work hard. And again, if that's just not you, if you like to just switch off and train, then we can make changes in how we plan your training to facilitate you doing that in a way that is helpful. But, but I also don't... keeps you safe. And... Yeah, but keeps you safe. Like, you, you know, there's got to be there's got to be some trade-off somewhere and your expectations of your results and your development have to be in line with the way in which you actually choose to engage with the task. And again, that comes back to sort of honesty and openness with how you communicate with your coach. Agreed. Um, is there anything else that makes somebody coachable? I guess like... Jokes aside, talent can make people coachable. Yeah, sure. It's, Especially if they have, you know, maybe experience in other sports. Oh, big um, time. Like, if you can say to somebody, whatever it happens to be, like, lift your arm over your head and, like, 10 other limbs don't move. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I'm training a squid in this instance. But, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, you just, yeah, if people are generally coordinated and know yeah, their body. Yeah, coordinated. And, they have, they're in tune with their body to some extent. Yeah. They have, you know, even... Um, 
sort of good uh like strengths and and you know even muscle on their body you know stuff like that can help yeah but again i don't think that's the type of thing where it's like no and that's not actionable it's not like somebody's gonna listen to this and go oh that's where i was fucking up i didn't have like really fucking athletic parents and it's like (laughs) train as a kid i'm gonna (laughs) i'm gonna go in a time capsule and sort that out yeah but i think um like what we're talking about before with diligence like something that i have mentioned that has helped me a lot with um powerlifting and training in general is the discipline that i learned from gymnastics growing up Mm. and because i you know did that sport for a very long time it is a sport that requires a lot of time um it you know requires a lot of focus it requires a lot of practice i spent a lot of time doing it and because of that and because i had quite strict coaches as well it did make me disciplined and and that has carried through into my adult life yeah and i don't know i think there is i guess (sighs) Just because you aren't necessarily quote unquote talented um, in how you move doesn't mean that you can't then also develop mastery in the powerlifts in exactly the way that we were just saying before is like you engage with the movements, you do them, you reflect what felt good, what felt bad, how can I improve on this? And you do that deliberate, like you do that deliberate practice that gets you better. You know, other people might be able to take things a little bit more for granted because everything just falls in place for them because they just happen to be really athletic and that's awesome and lucky. But if that's not you, then again, you just got to be a little bit more engaged and deliberate in order to, to get those things back. And eventually they will come, you know, second nature. Um, yeah, so that's that. What about, um, as I guess you can give me your perspective as an athlete, but also as a coach, what types of responsibilities do you want the athlete to take for themselves? We've already alluded to a couple um, to facilitate them getting better. Like you yourself, for instance, when you send me training footage, you have often already included a critique of your own set. Um, often you're just saying, I am so great. <laughs> but like, but here and there, you'll actually say like, you know, I did X in this rep. It felt better than the one before. So I'm going to try and do that in my next set or whatever it happens to be. What types of practices um, and self-review do you do to try and like get better and what motivates you to do them? Me personally? Yeah, I'll start with you. Um. I always watch my sets back. I'll often watch them back before I've even messaged you um, so that I can create my own self-evaluation on that set. Um, I guess a lot of the things that we talked about before, like just having focus, not bringing other things into the gym with me. Um, I also use a training diary. Uh, I use it for my cues that you have given me and ones that I have given myself. How many bench cues are there? <laughs> nearly no, one there's, there's, there's actually not even any oh uh, what <laughs> what about the head back one there's a squat I know there's a squat day and a deadlift day and then there's a bench day and the bench day is just empty <laughs> Constance asked the other day she was like where's your bench cues I was like nah, I don't need them which is not true I do need them <laughs> yeah <it's sweet. laughs> I'll it, give you a discount you're on 66% exactly. cost at the moment because I don't watch your bench I just go yeah alright off you go <laughs> Uh, it becomes it comes a little bit more naturally for me. So, um, but reading back my cues before I do a set, before I've even started warming up, that has been something that has been extremely helpful to me, and something that I've, as such, suggested all of my clients do, uh, because it, just having that that feedback there, and even giving it to a friend or or even your coach if they're there, and having them read it out as you do your set is is extremely helpful. I think one of the things that I was really lucky with. Um as I started being more serious about powerlifting was that I did a lot of training both both with Alex and Doug and also with like a couple of my other friends who just lift weights quite a lot um, 
where they were there almost like a sounding board where I could say like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to do X and like my last set felt like blah, I'm going to try this. Can you cue me blah or can you tell me what you think? Yep. And that person, they're almost like a totem pole you're talking to. Your coach can actually be that person when you're working with somebody remotely, but you mm-hmm. ba- like it forced me to reflect on what I had done and tell them what I was thinking and what I was going to try next because they were there to actually have that conversation with me. And I think a lot of people in engaging with their coach could probably do a similar thing is like you almost self-guide. The coach gives you like the environment to learn the things that you have to like that you have to learn and they can give you some feedback on your thoughts. But you like you have to engage with them on that level. You have to say, this is how my last set felt. I'm going to try blah, see how it goes. And then the coach can say, hey, that looks a little bit better. Like, well done or yeah. or whatever it happens to be. But um, but I was very lucky because I basically had the benefits of those people being there coaching me without them necessarily even being my coach. Yeah. Um, and so I also got have, practice coaching them, you know. Yeah. So if you do have friends or people that you train with often, then then they can be good to help you reflect on on your sets. But if you don't and, and you are doing online coaching, which has become a lot more popular, um, you do need to do more self-evaluation. And, and like you said, coming up with your own ideas, like uh, even if you're in a face-to-face session with a client, you can't feel what they feel and they have to describe it to you. They have to think about their body specifically or individually and you know if they come up with an idea we as the coach should be open to that and and let them have a little bit of experimentation and and see if it works totally in fact i i say after most sets how did that feel and sometimes my athletes it's really funny the ones who are a bit more like nervy will go like oh fuck how'd that feel uh (laughs) (laughs) uh, and like try and tell me like the answer that they think i want to hear with regards to something but i'm really asking when i ask how that feel actually how did it feel like it's yeah. not a pop quiz i want to know what felt good what felt bad like yep. how was it did compared you to your last here? set yeah where were you what were you accused that you were thinking about all of that yeah like if i've said to somebody hey push your big toe down in your next set of squats and they do it and i go how'd it feel if they say markedly better markedly worse or the same mm-hmm. any of those things now are useful information yeah absolutely you know it either helped made it way worse yeah. or didn't make a difference yeah. and yeah from that you can decide your next course of action but you know and even then you might say oh, i didn't really help very much but you know i think i feel like the problem is in here mm-hmm. whatever it happens to be it's like well hey we've learned something yeah. you know um yeah. tying back to the being open honest and communicating well is uh things that you and i have done in the past where i have said something like hey i think that my squat stance is too wide do you mind me experimenting with taking it narrower mm-hmm. and just recently changing my bench foot positioning a little bit i'm like hey i tried this it felt really good are you cool with me continuing on with that that's something that's really important you know try not to just do things and not tell your coach about it you know if, if your bench is looking crap and then all of a sudden it looks heaps better and it's because you've changed something let me know mm. i can write that in your program as a cue i can give you variations that assist that there's lots of things that can be done to help help you with that yeah and it also might just give you a clue as to the types of things that are going to help you get better yep. like for instance in the case of your bench you narrowed your feet a little bit narrowed my feet and moved them a bit away, away from you right yeah. and then you said i felt like my leg drive was way better using the quads more using the quads more and it got so it got the bar moving off your chest better and then when we think about your heavy benches the ones that are hardest are the ones where you don't get it off your chest very well because exactly. you have that low sticking point right yep. and so to me it's like okay well great so if we can get some more leg drive in your bench or we can get it off your chest well then it'll probably move well yep you know like i mean it's nothing that we didn't already know but it at least validates what we were already thinking right definitely and then i guess the flip side of, the, of that is this is what you said as well um just a moment ago it's like coaches 
shouldn't be afraid to let their athletes intuitions guide them a little bit as well technically like if your athlete goes you know oh blah kind of feels like it'll feel a bit better for me um and you know you didn't suggest it just because you're the all-knowing coach doesn't mean it's not necessarily valuable you shouldn't just shoot them down you should probably give them a bit of leeway to try it maybe with some caveats if you've got a problem with it but at least you know communicate and be open to the fact that your athlete feeling good about doing a movement might actually help them do it well yep as long as it's gonna as long as they're going to be safe in the movement then i don't see why that is a problem yeah um what uh we've pretty well touched on most of them um what about the manner of communicating feedback to clients so So something what we talked about the other day yeah yeah okay so uh, lots of coaches do feedback in different ways and and will and i were kind of discussing the other day what ways we find to be most helpful for clients and even most um you know i guess time savvy for us as coaches because you know if we do have a lot of clients that's something that can come into play and you want to be able to give the best service um but also, you know, give everyone the time they deserve, I suppose. So uh, the way that I do my feedback is I do it verbally. Uh, so clients have to hear my voice all the time, which I'm sure is very annoying. <laughs> um, but I find that this is the best way to communicate with people because I can say more in less time and also, you know, just describe, you know, with more words. Um how to how to do something i might reiterate cues uh like i might write them down afterwards just so that i can check their feedback and they can also check their feedback and they can see it written there but for me that that's working really well and the other thing you said which i thought was really clever was that you instruct your clients to write down what you said in a training diary Yes, so that's, I guess, a form of, of reiteration and like we talked about earlier is the, the focus standpoint is, you know, when you come into the gym, there is things that you need to be focusing on and thinking about for certain lifts and if you have that feedback written down in a cute little diary that you can just whip out at the gym. Um, like Kiki K or something. Yeah, exactly. I, like my sister's mad into novelty station, uh, novelty stationery, I should say. Mine is gold and sparkly, which oh, is cute. fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, if you can just bring that out in the gym and, you know, it, it will take you 10 seconds to read the cues that you need to read. And as you're rehabbing, warming up, you can be thinking about those things. It's going to put you in the right headspace for that lift and it's going to help you remember your feedback and implement it a lot better. Yeah, and even the act of writing it down when you hear it forces you to actually process what you've... Yeah. It's like when you used to write notes about like from a lecture kind of thing. It's very similar to that. I think it's called Bloom's Taxonomy. That's either Bloom's Taxonomy. I don't know why. It's not taxidermy. That's where you stuff animals. (laughs) Yes. And Bloom's is that um, popular like flash game on the internet where I think you pop balloons with darts and you're a monkey or something. Um, But... Bloom's taxonomy, I'm pretty sure, I'm going to Google this after, I'm probably heaps wrong again, um, but it describes like the that higher, higher order processing of information forces you to retain it better. So yep. everybody knows the classic, like if you listen to something without engaging with it, you remember 10% of it. If you write it down, you remember 30%. And if yep. you act it out or something, you remember 70. Some bullshit like that, teach it, you remember 95 um, I'm not sure to what degree those exact numbers are true, but conceptually, it's definitely the case that the more often people engage with information, so if you hear it and then write it, that's twice as opposed mm-hmm. to once, and the higher order degree to which you 
um, to which you engage with it, the more likely you are to retain it. And also it cements its importance to you and the importance of information is also important for, um, for how much you retain it. So, um, so yeah, forcing people to engage with things on two levels, I think is awesome. I think it's very easy for people to send their squats to their coach, get the feedback, kind of read it and just be like, oh yeah, sweet. And then it's like job done. Yeah. But unless you've actually engaged with that feedback and thought about what it actually entails, yeah. you haven't really gotten feedback. You've just had somebody say some shit to you. Yeah. And then you don't want to feel like as the coach that your your time has been wasted mm. because that's frustrating yeah. and and you you want them to remember it you want them to succeed so and when you think about your cues as well like it's not pages and pages of notes you know it's a couple of dot points so mm. it's not like a it's not a sort of you're not like what's the word i'm looking for it's not an overwhelming task it's like reading no. a couple words it's going to take you 10 seconds you know mm. so it's not hard to do so that's the reason why I find it to be the most effective. And I notice when when people aren't doing it because their their feedback doesn't it's not implemented. It doesn't as change. Well. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't, you go, don't oh, you're still doing the same thing. So I'll say to people, if I don't think they're doing it, I'm like, Did you write this in your trading diary? <laughs> Show me your trading diary. <laughs> <laughs> so you check your client's homework. I don't actually check that they have done it. I'd like to trust them. Uh, but I do ask. I'm like, just just want to double check that this is going in the training diary because once it's in there I can see it I can see it in the training. Yeah. Um the the other thing about feedback, um I so one of my clients, shout out to Amelia, um, is a teacher. And she said that some of the pedagogy around feedback is that it should be relatively direct, like not waffly, and also given... The shit sandwich? <laughs> not really the shit sandwich, though. I'll talk about recency bias after as well, because um, there is something to the shit sandwich. Um, no, the it should be relatively direct, not very fluffy, and should be expressed as like a criticism or praise of the execution of the task as opposed to the person, which yeah. makes sense. Like nobody says bad squats you're a shit person right absolutely um so that's useful i don't say that and likewise i don't say after you do a set of squats i don't say good girl because that's really patronizing but also sometimes i do say good girl by like and i say it like not in a patronizing way but just like i'm really proud of you but it comes out as that so i think part of the issue with that is then when you withdraw that it's like oh i'm not a good girl anymore yeah you know well (laughs) and you know like personally i'd be affronted to not be a good girl yeah Uh, but (laughs) But no, I, I think, yeah, I think the ideal feedback is supposedly quite direct. So you say, that whatever, was really good. that was good. You did blah, good job on your squats. And then it's like, you got an assessment, what you did well, and some good job on your squats. Or you can say, that wasn't, that wasn't as good. You didn't do this. Let's try that next set. You know, off you go. Or I want you to focus on X, Y, Z, which I think will help X, Y, Z. Yeah, and none of that is like, you know, like I said, shit squats, shit person. Yeah. Um, but it's it's direct and it's easily digestible. Um, being too waffly and actually trying to be too nice often isn't to your benefit because people just don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I agree. Um, that said, I have been told by a couple of people that I can be too direct and too <laughs> abrasive by people by by people no not <laughs> not just you but um so you know I'm trying to be nicer uh, <laughs> it's not trying working. in the yeah. operative word no, yeah but right. um but as in you know like there needs to be a purpose for your feedback and it's not a chance to heap shit on somebody necessarily although like sometimes you have to tell them not much of this is very good and yes. we need to take x or y course I of action I think as well like what we we're talking about before with reading your client a little bit Sometimes, like, reading your client with their feedback is a good idea. Mm. 
Alex, I know, is someone who is more direct with some of his clients than mm. he is with others, which I try to do as well. Um, some clients, like I actually prefer to get direct feedback, even if it's harsh, because I just want to know what I need to do better. And I'm not, I'm not correlating my squats to me, how I am as a person. So, But uh, many people who are more task-oriented are like that, because people yes. who are task-oriented are really good at saying, you know, whatever, this is just talking about squats. How do I get better at squats? That's what I want to do. That's my job right now. Yep. They don't, you know, whereas there are people who invest a lot of their own personal value in being told that they're good at something. Yeah, Oftentimes that they're actually well. fucking shit at. <laughs> and then they get, then they get really upset when you say you're not that good at that thing. And I'm like, I'm not saying that from a, from personal malice. If you're just not good at it, you're not good at it. We're going to get you better by doing blah. Yeah. You know, but not being willing to engage with the criticism of that without yes. taking it as a criticism of yourself also curtails the learning process a bit, right? Yes. Well, maybe those people just need to work on some other things. Yeah, but again, if somebody says eh, that, you don't say sack up. You say, okay, well, like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, you could, but like, but you yeah, don't. Read you the say, client. Read yeah, the read client. the client. You've got to, you know, they're like, there are certain clients for whom say, I, I actually try to look for more positives in because I know that they need positive reinforcement. That doesn't mean that I don't say we need to do X to get you better. Yeah. You know, and likewise, I don't hold clients who are like Wilksing 200 to the same standards as I do clients who are Wilksing 450 or something because that's just not reasonable. Because it's different to advance. Yeah, yeah of course. But, um, but that also doesn't mean that I tell them your squats are perfect. Oh, no. Don't yeah. lie. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> you so, know who teaches feedback really well? Who? Teachers. Well, Wilkes. Amelia is a teacher. No, like as in teachers, not implements. <laughs> oh, I, man, Wilkes is coaching. Yeah, rubbish. Yeah, but like when you do the course with him, yeah. the way that he teaches you to give feedback is exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. There's got to be something, there should be something complimentary. Like there should be an initial sort of well done, then something complimentary and then what they need to work on. Yeah, no, Wilkes's feedback sandwich is good. So I was going to talk about recency bias. So again, I'm way off topic on things that I actually know anything about, but we're sweet. Um, so I've read some pop psychology, so I'm basically Jordan Peterson. Um, <laughs> and no, there's... Um, okay, recency bias. So your, your recollection of events is biased towards the thing that happened most recently. So you'll rate an experience as more pleasant or more unpleasant um, than you would actually rate the sum of that experience depending on what happens last. So some experimental evidence for it. Um, this is from the book Thinking Fast and Slow, which I mentioned on the podcast before. Um, I think they had people dipping their finger in water, which sounds really silly, but they'd have their finger exposed to the water and it would either be at like a pleasant warm temperature or a very unpleasantly cold like ice bath yep. temperature. And um, and I think, I think it was people that were exposed to like the ice bath style temperature, which is very unpleasant for a long time but then it warmed up to warm at the end mm-hmm. rated the experience as less unpleasant than people who were exposed to just that for a short time even though the duration of exposure was worse absolutely and then they had they had some other ones where it was like they had people rating how um how they perceived certain events like on a momentary basis across it and then summed it and then had people just do a rating at the end and say how it was and if it was more pleasant at the end they tended yep. to f- view the whole thing more favorably okay so if you do a set of squats and they're mm. all pretty good, but the last one is terrible. You're going to think the set's worse. Yeah, okay, I understand. Yeah. Um, but the example that my client, Tom Clark, shout out Tom, gave me, which was a really good one, is if I said to you, hey, Chrissy, I want to date your sister. What's her name? 
Alexis. Shout out Alexis. What up? Um, She's definitely not listening, so I don't even um, care. If you don't tell your sister to listen, that's rude. Um, but no, say I said I wanted to date your sister and you said, you're a good bloke, but I don't want you to date my sister. All yep. I really hear is I don't want you to date my yes. sister. If you say, I don't want you to date my sister, but you're a lovely bloke, I walk away with, oh, I'm a nice guy. <laughs> you know, I'm okay. still not dating your sister. But but the thing, like so your perception. So putting the compliment at the end is... Is, is where we were sort of going with this. Like yeah, basically. Like yeah, you can okay. get, you can say to people, you know, and this is actually a mistake I've made a number of times because people want to start by buttering people up when there's bad news. Yeah. But sometimes giving them the bad news first and then finishing with the, but on the plus side, you did X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Will make their perception of the feedback a little bit better. True. Do you think but, that detracts from what they need to focus on for the next set though? Potentially. That's, that's what I'm not sure about because like, I think if you have somebody who mindfully engaged with that and goes, okay, well, fuck, I'm going to write this in my diary. Mm then their affective response, they're like, how do I feel about this feedback? Is still good. Yes. Right? Like if, you know, if you said to, well, you have a client called Amelia, that name's front of mind. So you say to your Amelia, you know, whatever happens to be, like you fucked up this on your squats. Um, but like, you know, your, whatever it happens to be, your upper back's so much tighter than it was before. She's still going to feel good about that feedback. But when she writes down in her diary what to do, she's not going to write down in her diary up and back. My tick, back tick, is tick, tight. Fucking yeah, shit, nice. Yeah. She, good she's she's going to say, I better control my descent so I do my next step better. Yes. She still feels good about it. So I, yeah. I don't know. But um, where you're maybe with somebody in person and they have to action mm-hmm. things... You I think then you need to reiterate the bat. Yeah. Absolutely. So before the next set, yeah, we like we're focusing on your foot pressure this set, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. And I tend to do that anyway. I like because, like, I mean, you like to take twenty minutes off between sets when we train together. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. So you do a set. I say how to feel. You say blah. I say this is what I thought was good, or you know, which I should fix. This is what I thought was bad. Then this is what I thought was good. Next set, let's try blah. We've yeah. agreed on that. And then there's a reminder twenty minutes later. Yeah, we have a twenty. <laughs> 20-minute hiatus where you lie on the floor and pat your tummy, usually, and don't talk to me. And then we come back to squatting, and I say, so we're going to focus on blah, and you go, blah, and then you do it, and then we evaluate whether that worked. Yes, and this is all in between Will talking about himself, of course. Yeah, well, it takes 20 minutes (laughs) (laughs) at a time. Yes, well, Will has many, many things to say about himself. Um, That's covered a lot of what I wanted to say on coaching. Is there anything that's particularly, like, yeah, front of mind for you right now? Not particularly. I think a lot of the stuff that we've talked about in terms of being like communicative with your coach, uh, with with injuries, with questions, with if you're going away, if you're sick, stuff like that is just super important for your relationship. And also keeping in mind that um, someone who is a client of a coach for a longer period of time is is probably going to be receiving a program that is more tailored to them individually. Um, so you're going to be able to, as a coach, give feedback better to a client who you've known for a long time and you know how they respond to feedback and you know what works for them. Um, basically you're going to become more coachable to a coach just by being with them for a longer period of time. So Mm. I think you guys have touched on this on another podcast, but, um, you know, coach hopping is something that you should be aware of because the more you're going to get a more individualized approach if you are with your coach for a longer period of time, they're going to understand you better. So that's a big part of it as well, I think. Yeah, I broadly I broadly agree. Um, it's been really good to have you on. Thank you. N- next week, Alex will be back. It's not because he weren't good enough. <laughs> it's just because he's really pissy that he's not on today. Sorry, Alex. Um, yeah, next week, Alex will be back. But it's been great to have you on. Um, 
you tell everybody where they can find you. You've already done the four questions way back in episode. I have. Yes, I have. Uh, I don't really use Facebook, but you can find me at Chrissy Dask on Instagram. Okay. You got a website? I do. It's www.chrissydaskfitness.com. Cool. All right. Um, I'm Will Berkman, W.BerkmanPT. I'll catch you next week. Feet Alex.